Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Anarchism and American Traditions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Anarchism and American Traditions by Voltairine de Clare American traditions, begotten of religious rebellion, small self-sustaining communities, isolated conditions, and hard pioneer life, grew during the colonization period of 170 years from the settling of Jamestown to the outburst of the Revolution. This was, in fact, the great constitution-making epoch, the period of charters guaranteeing more or less of liberty, the general tendency of which is well described by William Penn in speaking of the charter for Pennsylvania. I want to put it out of my power, or that of my successors, to do mischief. The revolution is the sudden and unified consciousness of these traditions, their loud assertion, the blow dealt by their indomitable will against the counterforce of tyranny, which has never entirely recovered from the blow, but which from then till now has gone on remolding and regrappling the instruments of governmental power, that the revolution sought to shape and hold as defenses of liberty. To the average American of today, the revolution means the series of battles fought by the Patriot Army with the armies of England. The millions of schoolchildren who attend our public schools are taught to draw maps of the siege of Boston and the siege of Yorktown, to know the general plan of the several campaigns, to quote the number of prisoners of war surrendered with Burgoyne. They are required to remember the date when Washington crossed the Delaware on the ice. They are told to remember Paoli to repeat, Molly Stark's a widow, to call General Wayne, Mad Anthony Wayne, and to execrate Benedict Arnold. They know that the Declaration of Independence was signed on the 4th of July, 1776, and the Treaty of Paris in 1783. And then they think they have learned the Revolution. Blessed be George Washington. They have no idea why it should have been called a revolution instead of the English War, or any similar title. It's the name of it, that's all. And name-worship, both in child and man, has acquired such mastery of them that the name American Revolution is held sacred, though it means to them nothing more than successful force, while the name Revolution applied to a further possibility, is a specter detested and abhorred. 
In neither case have they any idea of the content of the word, save that of armed force. That has already happened, and long happened, which Jefferson foresaw when he wrote, The spirit of the times may alter, will alter. Our rulers will become corrupt, our people careless. A single zealot may become persecutor, and better men be his victims. It can never be too often repeated that the time for fixing every essential right on a legal basis is while our rulers are honest, ourselves united. From the conclusion of this war we shall be going downhill. It will not be then necessary to resort every moment to the people for support. They will be forgotten, therefore, and their rights disregarded. They will forget themselves in the sole faculty of making money, and will never think of uniting to effect a due respect for their rights. The shackles, therefore, which shall not be knocked off at the conclusion of this war, will be heavier and heavier, till our rights shall revive or expire in a convulsion. To the men of that time who voiced the spirit of that time, the battles that they fought were the least of the revolution. They were the incidents of the hour, the things they met and faced as part of the game they were playing. But the stake they had in view, before, during, and after the war, the real revolution, was a change in political institutions which should make of government not a thing apart, a superior power to stand over the people with a whip, but a serviceable agent responsible, economical, and trustworthy, but never so much trusted as not to be continually watched. For the transaction of such business as was the common concern, and to set the limits of the common concern at the line of where one man's liberty would encroach upon another's. They thus took their starting point for deriving a minimum of government upon the same sociological ground that the modern anarchist derives the no-government theory, viz. that equal liberty is the political ideal. The difference lies in the belief, on the one hand, that the closest approximation to equal liberty might be best secured by the rule of the majority in those matters involving united action of any kind which rule of the majority they thought it possible to secure by a few simple arrangements for election. And, on the other hand, the belief that the majority rule is both impossible and undesirable, that any government, no matter what its form, will be manipulated by a very small minority, as the development of the states and United States governments has strikingly proved, that candidates will loudly profess allegiance to platforms before elections, which as officials in power they will openly disregard, to do as they please, and that even if the majority will could be imposed, it would also be subversive of equal liberty, which may be best secured by leaving to the voluntary association of those interested in the management of matters of common concern, without coercion of the uninterested or the opposed. Among the fundamental likeness between the revolutionary republicans and the anarchists is the recognition that the little must precede the great, that the local must be the basis of the general, 
that there can be a free federation only when there are free communities to federate, that the spirit of the latter is carried into the councils of the former, and a local tyranny may thus become an instrument for general enslavement. Convinced of the supreme importance of ridding the municipalities of the institutions of tyranny, the most strenuous advocates of independence, instead of spending their efforts mainly in the general Congress, devoted themselves to their home localities, endeavoring to work out of the minds of their neighbors and fellow colonists the institutions of entailed property, of a church state, of a class-divided people, even the institution of African slavery itself. Though largely unsuccessful, it is to the measure of success they did achieve that we are indebted for such liberties as we do retain, and not to the general government. They tried to inculcate local initiative and independent action. The author of the Declaration of Independence, who in the fall of 76 declined a re-election to Congress in order to return to Virginia and do his work in his own local assembly, in arranging there for public education, which he justly considered a matter of common concern, said his advocacy of public schools was not with any view to take its ordinary branches out of the hands of private enterprise, which manages so much better the concerns to which it is equal, and in endeavoring to make clear the restrictions of the Constitution upon the functions of the general government. He likewise said, let the general government be reduced to foreign concerns only, and let our affairs be disentangled from those of all other nations, except as to commerce, which the merchants will manage for themselves, and the general government may be reduced to a very simple organization, and a very inexpensive one, a few plain duties to be performed by a few servants. This, then, was the American tradition that private enterprise manages better all that to which it is equal. Anarchism declares that private enterprise, whether individual or cooperative, is equal to all the undertakings of society, and it quotes the particular two instances, education and commerce, which the governments of the states and of the United States have undertaken to manage and regulate as the very two which in operation have done more to destroy American freedom and equality, to warp and distort American tradition, to make of government a mighty engine of tyranny, than any other cause save the unforeseen developments of manufacture. It was the intention of the revolutionists to establish a system of common education which should make the teaching of history one of its principal branches not with the intent of burdening the memories of our youth with the dates of battle.